Greetings and salutations. Welcome, everybody, to Keyboard Kimura. I am your host, as always, E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man. It is Thursday, June 1st, which is crazy for me to say. How's it June already? But alas, here we are. It is Thursday, June 1st. That means it is time for 10 things. For UFC Vegas 74, which takes place on Saturday at the UFC Apex, dive right in. Item number one. I like Spencer cards. For those of you that are new here, and it's the first time hearing this term, allow me to provide a definition. A Spencer card is one, an event with a pair of ranked fighters in the main event and a hodgepodge of bouts between prospects, contender series graduates, fighters I can't quit, and the like assembled on the undercard. Two, a card prominent voices covering the sport we'll either condemn or largely ignore. And three, a card where the names might not be familiar or formidable, but the action will be outstanding nonetheless. It's sort of become my, Spencer card has become my my term for fight cards like this and sort of an all-encompassing catch-all for the events that, that really are like this. Because for me, I like watching fights and I don't care whether there are four or 24 or zero ranked fighters on a card for that matter. I'm watching. I'm most likely going to enjoy it. And without question, there will be things that happen on Saturday that I will take away from the event that will be impactful and informative to my understanding about some of these athletes, regardless of how many recognizable names or immediately critical fights are on the card. I understand that I'm different in this way and I'm not asking everybody to feel the same. What I am, however, is getting tired of constantly being hit with the wave of you're not supposed to like this. You're supposed to hate this. You're supposed to rally against this and tell everybody to ignore this and that it doesn't matter. Because I tell you what, for each and every man and woman that steps into the octagon on Saturday, this means something. Whether you know them or not, it means something for them, for their friends, for their family, for the people that have helped them get here. And me as somebody that earns my living covering these men and women and has a career because they're stepping into that octagon, I'm going to respect that. And I'm going to recognize that. And I'm going to appreciate that that Saturday, whether it means nothing for you means a whole lot for them. And that's my big thing about cards like this. Like I understand, I understand the pushback. I'm not saying everybody has to agree with me. I'm not saying don't push back. But what I am saying is that there's another side of this. There is a human side of this for these athletes and their families and their friends and everybody that sacrificed and helped them get here. And every time we tell them they don't matter and it doesn't matter, it's disrespectful. And you can argue whatever you want to argue about it's disrespectful of the UFC to give us cards of this nature. I hear you. I understand your position. You are fully entitled to those views. But I don't have to not like these cards. I'm allowed to like them. I'm allowed to want to give my attention, my respect, and my appreciation to each and every fighter that steps into that octagon, 
whether they have one or 50 fights in their career, whether I know who they are going in or I don't. And so I'm looking forward to Saturday because there's a bunch of men and women that are going to go out there and put their health and well-being on the line for our entertainment to help me earn money, to allow me to provide me an opportunity to earn money. And I'm not going to apologize for appreciating that and giving them some of my, some of my care, some of my concern, some of my appreciation. Item number two, Kai Kara France is back. I got the chance to speak to one half of the headlining duo earlier this week. And it was great to stand with him, talk to him about missing out on the fight card in Perth in February, talk to him about Israel Adesanya's win and how that lifts him up, how that lifts the entire team up. And it provides him with sort of that viewpoint of here's my teammate who came in 0-3 against this guy, was just stopped by this guy. And he still went out there and did the damn thing and was confident the whole way through. The self-belief was rock solid the whole way through. There was no wavering because it imbues him with the same thing as he readies to return for the first time since his fight with Brandon Moreno last year. It's been since the end of July, UFC 277, that we've seen Kai. He is somebody that is near the top of the division, in the flyweight division at the top of the division, I would say, in the flyweight division. He is already challenged for the interim title. It's very much still in the title picture. And I want to see guys like this compete. I want to see what losing in that instance, what losing in that kind of fight to the guy that is now the undisputed champion does for a 30-year-old that brings some different things to this division. He has that one-shot power that we don't often see at flyweight. He has a dynamic skill set in terms of the ability to defensively wrestle exceptionally well. We saw that in the Askar Askarov fight and defend really well in grappling situations and then do enough and, and be successful enough and impactful enough with his striking to go out and, and grab victories. This is an interesting fight. He understands that he's sort of the guy that fighters like Amir Albazian, we'll get to him momentarily, are going to get paired up against are going to look at as this is the guy I need to beat to leapfrog. And his words to me on Wednesday were, come try, come try. I'll show you what kind of levels there are. I'll show you there's different levels to this. You want to give me a guy like that on Saturday? I'm going to watch it every week. Item number three, Amir Albazi's long-awaited test. As I mentioned, we get to the other half of the main event pairing on Saturday, Amir Albazi, 4-0 in the UFC, five-fight winning streak overall, just a single loss in his career. Profiles right now, as somebody we've been paying attention to, or should have been paying attention to if you haven't been, profiles is somebody that is in the mix, but we're not quite sure. And that's why this weekend's matchup with Kai is so fascinating to me. I said yesterday on one question that it's, this is just a, a fascinating, like I'm tremendously excited for this fight because I love these questions. I love these fights that are just tests, right? This is the thing we need to see. It's similar to Ian Gary a couple weeks ago against Daniel Rodriguez, maybe even to a greater extent than that, given where each of those guys, given where Rodriguez is 
and where Kai is at this point. Amir Albazi, I spoke to him as well earlier in the week or last week, I should say. He's ready for this one. He he wants this. This is what he's been gunning for. And me as a fan, me as somebody that wants to watch and consume these fights to get information about these men and women and where they stand in these divisions, I'm transfixed. Like I can't wait for the main event to start because I want to see if this guy that has looked really good against solid but not spectacular competition thus far can go out there and replicate that kind of performance and those kinds of efforts against somebody as established as Kai Kara France. This is the kind of test, and, and I think I said the exact same thing yesterday. This is the kind of test we are looking for, for prospects like Albazi. These are such meaningful fights. They are so informative. They are so instructive. I absolutely love it. Item four, fun veteran featherweights in the co-main event. I am, for all intents and purposes, a simple man. I like fist fights. I like dogs. I like pizza. I like watching Alex Caceres and Daniel Pineda get in the octagon. And now they're going to do it together. I'm looking forward to it. I know that may sound you know, reductive and simple and basic and plain and forced to some people. But like, as I said off the top, you want to give me entertaining fights. I want to watch them. And these dudes, independent of one another, have been entertaining fighters throughout their careers. Alex Caceres has been in the UFC for well over a decade now. He's at a point at this stage of his life, at this stage of his career, where he is at his best. He is in the best form he has been in despite being in the UFC for well over a decade. Daniel Pineda, as I talked about yesterday, is 28 wins and 28 finishes. And I am going to sit down and enjoy a dude like that each and every Saturday you want to give them to me. And now you're putting them in the octagon together. It's one of those things where I don't want to guarantee that it's going to be exciting because stranger things have happened. But I would say there's a, you know, if if this fight will be entertaining was a prop bet, it's probably like minus 600, minus 700. It's going to be entertaining. You're not laying the juice on the chance that this isn't entertaining. As he said, I'm a simple guy. You want to give me two fun veteran featherweights getting after each other in the co-main event? I'm here for it. Item number five, Jim Miller's fighting. Jim Miller is probably the reason that I started the is fighting entry in this series many years ago. If he's not, he was one of the first couple along with Donald Cerrone, who he fought twice. What can I say? I've spoken to Jim Miller throughout his career multiple times. I have the utmost respect for him. Harry and I used to talk all the time on the takeaways and various other platforms along with Ian, along with Shawnee, about guys like Jim Miller that have recognized along the way that they're no longer competitive at the top end, but still want to compete and adjust their expectations, adjust their approach to things accordingly. And I really, truly appreciate that. We've seen a lot of really great fighters and we can all 
name a bunch of them pretty quickly, I would say, that when we saw the signs of decline, they were unable to recognize them and take the steps back that are required in order to continue competing, in order to continue being competitive in the cage. It's a difficult thing to do. It's a really difficult thing to do. And, and I say that as somebody that has never had to make that choice and never will have to make that choice and come to that realization. But I tell you what, I have the utmost respect for the people that are able to get there. And there's two of them on this fight card. We'll get to the other momentarily. Jim Miller has the record for the most appearances. He has the record for the most wins in UFC history. He's a dude that just keeps going out there, wants to continue competing. And, and same as everything else so far on this card and that we will talk about later. I just, I have an appreciation for that. And I have reverence for that. And I have respect for that. And if he wants to keep competing, I want to keep watching. Item number six, second look at Karine Sofa. I talked about her yesterday as somebody that I'm not quite sure where she fits in the flyweight division. Very impressed with her debut performance against Pollyanna Botelho. I wrote going into that fight that it felt like a weird decision to put her on the main card because it was either going to be a spotlight opportunity for the newcomer, for the Contender Series graduate, or one of those instances where it goes horribly awry turned out to be a spotlight opportunity. I was not fully sold in that moment, but she certainly got the highlighter treatment where it was, okay, next time she's fighting, I'm paying closer attention. I'm invested. I'm looking in. I want to see it. It was supposed to happen a few weeks ago against Priscilla Cashuera. Cashuera missed weight. The fight was scrapped. Here we are this weekend against Ketlin Souza, which to me is a much tougher fight against the LFA champ or former LFA champ, I guess now, fellow Brazilian as well. I just, these are the, these are the kinds of fights I want to see for relative newcomers, for relatively young fighters as they look to progress in the UFC. Give me a tough sophomore assignment. Give me a difficult test on fight number two, because I'm going to find out, are there, are there other names? Are there other people that Silva could be in there against where we don't get as much information from the fight? Absolutely. But we're going to find out on Saturday not necessarily all the way if she's the goods, not necessarily that she's a contender or not, but we're going to find out more. And as somebody that covers this sport and somebody that cares about this sport and these athletes and thinks about it as more than just a, like this weekend and maybe next weekend pursuit and venture, I want to see these fights. I want to see these people step in the cage and have these tests I, I genuinely don't understand how more people that sit in my seat or better seats than I have don't feel the same way. It's confusing to me. It's frustrating to me at times because we sit around and we dismiss so many fighters and so many athletes and so many events and then turn around 12 months, 18 months, 24 months down the road and go, who the hell is this person? I've never heard of them before when they've won three, four, five, six, eight straight fights in the UFC. Pay attention now. Pay attention to Karina Silva this weekend. She might be somebody that makes an impact in the flyweight division going forward. And if she's not, 
Is it really the end of the world that you invested a little bit of time this weekend getting a closer look? Item number seven, Jamie Malarkey returns. I got a chance to talk to the Australian lightweight on Wednesday. Uh, we touched on the fact that shifting of opponents late in fight camps is becoming a recurring theme for him. Was originally supposed to face Guram Kutataladze this weekend. Is now instead facing Mohamed Naimov. Last time out was supposed to face Nasrat Hakparast. Hakparast withdrew, faced Francisco Prado, got a win. Second straight win. Jamie Malarkey is one of those guys for me that, as I talked about yesterday, feels like he's a little bit on the cusp and I just want to see more. I really would have liked this to be Kuta Taladze because that would have felt like more of a correct assessment. I have a feeling Jamie Malarkey wins this fight on Saturday, probably rather handily. Naimov is a good fighter, but somebody that is relatively inexperienced in comparison to Malarkey and UFC caliber opponents. He's eight and two overall. He lost to Colin Anglin in his fight on season four of The Ultimate Fighter. Not that MMA math is a real thing, but Anglin struggled to have success in the featherweight division. And now he's moving up a weight class to face a guy that's four and one in his last five. I think this goes Malarkey's way. I don't think we learn a whole ton, but it is a chance to see if he goes out and has the performance that he believes he's capable of. When I spoke to him Wednesday, kind of wrap things up by saying like, how do you see it playing out? Like obviously the prediction and the, and the forecast is to go out and get your hand raised, get a third straight victory. But like you guys get in there, what's it look like? And he said, I just, I see it being dominant. I think I'm better than him everywhere. And I'm looking to get a finish and put on another entertaining fight for fans. And I want to see if he can do it. This is a chance a little bit. It's a little bit of a trap fight. As I said yesterday, it's a little bit of don't slip on the banana skin. But it's also a chance for Jamie Malarkey to go out and make another statement now that he's on a little bit of a good run here. And, and a few more people are paying attention and taking notice. So this is a meaningful fight for him. And I want to see if he can capitalize on the opportunity in front of him. Item number eight, three fun bantamweight fights. If you know me, if you've listened to me over the years, you know I adore the bantamweight division. This weekend on the prelims, we get three fights at 135 pounds. And they're all interesting to me. John Castaneda and Muin Gafarov, Daniel Santos, my guy, and Johnny Munoz Jr., and Damone Blackshear and Luan Lacerda. All three fights are fighters that I would say are in the middle of the division and lower. There are some questions about each that I have, obviously. I put out a show yesterday called one question about every one question for every fight. So I have some thoughts on each of these matchups, but again, it's 35 and we see people every week come out and impress. It is the most competitive stacked talent, rich division in the UFC. Gafarov is an interesting addition to the crew at 27, making his debut in the UFC. Castaneda has a little something to prove losing last time out to Daniel Santos who gets to return now and see if he can build on that effort against John Castaneda as he takes on Johnny Munoz Jr. And as I said yesterday, Damone Blackshear is way better than his record suggests. And Lewin Lacerda is somebody I want to see again, given that he walked into the UFC in his debut on a pay-per-view in Brazil against Cody Stamen, who was a top 15 fighter for a number of years and is still 
just outside of that in that second 15 pack at bantamweight. This is the best division in the UFC. And you're giving me three fights. I'm in. I'm in. Again, simple man. Like fights. Like competitive fights. Like bantamweight fights. Three competitive bantamweight fights. Sign me the fuck up. Item number nine. Heavyweight heel Andre Arlovsky. I touched on it yesterday. That I've liked the evolution of Arlovsky. Who is the other fighter along with Jim Miller. That has changed up his style, changed up his approach, changed up his understanding of his own position within the division to prolong and extend his career. I like that Andre Arlovsky feels to me. So heel, of course, pro wrestling term, grew up a pro wrestling fan, still a pro wrestling fan to this day. Arlovsky feels like just the quintessential shit heel a little bit, right? Like he's the guy that every time there's a slight foul or if it's a 50 50 situation he's looking at the ref and ready to like gesture and gesticulate to the hugest like if he was an nba player he would be flopping all over the place every time somebody ran into him looking to get a charge call he would be that guy he would be kyle lowry for basketball fans you will understand that as the miami heat go to the nba finals and kyle lowry looks to get a second nba title I talked about the Jake Collier fight where every little clash of heads where it's a clash of heads. It's not one guy headbutting the other. Arlovsky would motion and look at the referee and point and blame Jake Collier and Collier would be the one getting chastised by the official. I love that stuff. I absolutely love it. I'm sure it's annoying as hell for the guy standing across from him and will be annoying for Don Tail Mays every time that he throws an inside kick and it gets a little close. And Arlovsky looks at the ref and does it like, Hey, he's kicking me low, but I love it. He's a guy that has figured out how to play this game, how to work the system, how to work the officials, how to work the judges, how to keep himself safe. In most cases, it's crazy to me that all of these years after he tried to flying knee Fedor and got knocked out of the air, here's Arlovsky still plugging away in the UFC heavyweight division. He's not a contender, but he's still out here. He's getting to be competitive. I absolutely love it. Here for it. Every time he steps into the cage, old guys got to stick together. Let's go Andre Arlovsky. Last one. And we'll get out of here. Number 10, further examination of Felipe Linz. As I talked about yesterday, my question was, is he becoming a dark horse? I want to see. I want to see. I want to find out. 2-0 in the light heavyweight division since moving down from heavyweight where he never felt like he belonged. 49-second knockout win over Ovin St. Preux last time out. I'm not putting a ton of stock in beating OSP in 2023. It may have, yeah, it was 2023, I believe. But it's still a good performance. And it's still one of those things where the first shot he really threw, the first one that he landed clean with, put OSP on the back pedal. Those things are telling to me, I don't care who it is. Maybe it's not everybody that feels it that way and carries it that way and goes into backpedal mode, but I want to see he gets, it's not even necessarily a step up. It's a lateral move here against Maxim Gresham, who he was scheduled to fight before, but Gresham is another one of these tough, durable veteran guys. He's fought at heavyweight. He's fought at light heavyweight. He's got 40 odd fights in his career, maybe even 50 fights. I don't have his record in front of me. 
But this is another one of those fights where like, if Felipe Linz is putting a little something together, we'll see it on Saturday. And as I've said throughout, I'm just here to find out answers to some of these questions and to get a chance to make more reads on these athletes. Because to me, for me, that's part of the gig. That's part of the job. That's why I'm here. That's why I do what I do. It's why I'm able to do what I do is these men and women step into the cage and I get to talk about them, write about them, cover them, watch them compete. And I'm here for it every single weekend. Before I let you get out of here, the usuals, we hit up the Substack up top, the QR code, give it a scan, go over to the keyboard Kimura Substack page where you can subscribe for free for five bucks a month or for 50 bucks a year. However you sign up, everything comes straight to your email. I appreciate you. You help me do what I'm doing. And I thank you for that. Other side, the boys of One Bone, onebonebrand.com, at onebonebrand on Twitter and Instagram, mostly on Instagram. Polos dropped yesterday. They look amazing. They're already in the mail on the way because I had to get some right away. Going to be wearing them next week in Vancouver. It's the best stuff out there. Like I can't, I'm telling you, it just try it and trust me. We got some for the boys at Severe and Shawnee pushed back when I said, Hey, pick something and let me know. And, and we'll get a package out. He said, nah, nothing ever fits. It's not going to, he messaged me a couple weekends ago and said, look, this thing fits perfectly. I will be wearing it on my birthday. Happy belated Shawnee T podcast. And it's, if we can, if we can convince Sean Sheehan who doesn't like anything, likes very little that this is the gear, that this is the stuff, that this stuff, that one bone will change your life. Wumbo will change your life. Come join the community. If you do, if you jump online, if you check out the website and you have some purchases, hit up the discount code ESK20. My initials ESK, the number 20, 20% off your order. Get yourself some goods, get it on you, get in the community. It is the best by far. Lastly, on the bottom, at Spencer Kite, Twitter, Instagram, we're pumping out content. We're trying to make an impact. We're trying to get good original content out there. Follow me, like it, share it, tell your friends. I love you. I appreciate you. I see you. I value you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.